Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And first I'd like to start off by wishing you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, whatever you might be celebrating. And that is why the topic today is something that uh, comes with holidays, whatever religion you are. Um, it is something that you will be encountering during this period of time. Um, whether amongst your own friends and family or people who are strangers on the road. <laughs> and my guest today will help us to uh, be aware of some of these uh, problems that you will be inadvertently uh, dealing with or perhaps even um, trying to deny in yourself, and that is alcoholism and other addictions. And um, we, my guest is Doug Thorburn, and he is a, an author of four books about addiction. Um, but I think what is particularly interesting is that he is not a therapist. He is not a doctor. He's not um, an alcohol, I guess, um, counselor per se. I mean, in terms. I mean, I hope I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But his interest um, in alcoholism and addiction. Um, has stemmed from a very personal experience that then caused him to uh, be a voracious reader and interviewer on this subject and um, then an expert. It's interesting, Doug, because your actual, your, your day job <laughs> has a, uh, an enrolled agent, which you described as someone who is enrolled to represent taxpayers before the Internal Revenue Service, which is a, <laughs> a career for... <laughs> A career that could cause anyone to drink, um, but it's also obviously someone, and, and also you're a certified financial planner, um, but that is someone who is, people who go into those fields are generally people who are very, um, who are somewhat obsessive compulsive and therefore very detailed oriented. So when you say that you've done a lot of interviews and a lot of reading about addiction, I believe you. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm really more of a generalist, which is what led me seemingly outside the field, but it's really a part of the field because if there's an addict in your life, you may be financially abused. Yes, yes, and that is actually, yes, and I thought that was an interesting connection too. So why don't you start at the beginning with your own personal story that led you into this whole field? Well, Dr. Carroll, I was romantically involved with an alcohol and other drug addict unbeknownst to me, and unbeknownst to the two therapists with whom we counseled for the better part of two years. Hmm. No wonder you have, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. wonder you sort of um, have a little hostility towards therapists, yeah. but I know. Well, if, you know, it, it's funny. When, I, when, when somebody notes a tinge of anger in my voice, they're thinking <laughs> it's directed at the attic. Oh, no, 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 no. It's directed at the therapists who still don't get it. It's appalling. Uh, the... the Gross unawareness and under, misunderstanding about addiction is so pervasive uh, that I often say if I had been a recovering addict, a therapist, a doctor, a psychiatrist, I couldn't have written my books because I might have had too much to unlearn. There are very few in the professions who really understand addiction. And one of the key problems 
perhaps the, what, I, what I call in my, my uh, latest book, Alcoholism, Myths and Realities, the grand myth of alcoholism is the definition. The definition requires loss of control over use. That's a latter stage symptom. That's a what symptom? It's a latter stage symptom of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Early stage, middle stage alcoholics, don't, they haven't lost control over the use. What they do lose control over at or near the get-go is behaviors. Now, we probably, okay, well, we probably are going to have some disagreements about this, but that's okay. Um, I mean, that isn't to say that that uh, all therapists, I mean, I don't disagree with the fact that some therapists are more knowledgeable about this than others, absolutely. Um, and, yes, obviously, you know, uh, your story is not uh, that unique in terms of there being therapists who have been fooled by patients, you know, who have missed the diagnosis and have been fooled by patients who um, have been alcoholics or addicts. A lot of this comes from the psychiatrist um, or other kind of therapist uh their counter-transference towards the patient because they don't want to think that somebody perhaps who is um, seemingly ostensibly successful who they might identify with uh, could have such a severe addiction. But let's we get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> let's just start with, I mean, and that would include what you were starting to say about going to therapy, but how how long had you known this person before you realized I mean, how did it all come out? Actually, I actually knew her on and off professionally for years before, and I knew that she was a recovering alcoholic, but I didn't uh-huh. understand alcoholism. So when she told me she could sip wine with me, mm. and I saw her sipping wine, it didn't dawn on me that she was gulping vodka beforehand. Because mm. okay? I later asked recovering alcoholics who were a wealth of knowledge. This is how I learned all about alcoholism. I attended AA meetings with the addicts themselves. When I asked them how they could sip wine, they said they couldn't, not unless they gulped something else first. Mm. Right? So she was, I found out later, she and I, you know, she went into recovery finally, but long, you know, much later, uh, turns out she was pouring vodka in her milk and Bailey's in her coffee, among mm. other things. So the, doctor, <laughs> the doctors also were prescribing her Vicodin. Well, that's legal heroin. What a combo. Vicodin and booze. Okay, what? and how do you think, um, because this would be something that would be, and very helpful to other people. Um, how do you think that you, um, I mean, obviously, how do you think that you were fooled? Because obviously if you could be fooled, you know, lots of people are fooled. So she's why gorgeous. do you think you yeah. believe this? She's gorgeous, charming, <laughs> uh, highly intelligent, uh, and the therapist didn't suspect it. Uh, no one else suspected it. Um, and, and what I've learned since, Dr. Carroll, is we don't find alcoholism unless we suspect it, and it should be ruled out first, blood and urine, urine tested, if the behavior patterns are there. And okay. that's, what I, that's what I found attending AA meetings. Uh, when I, when I, was, I, I basically went to AA meetings, by the way, just to protect me. I said, I've got to learn about alcoholism, because so I, I don't want to do this again. But wait, 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 wait. But how did you, so what, may, what finally got you to see that there was uh, something going on? You know, yeah, well, that, the, that it was more than well, sipping I, pro- I proved actual use when, when I find, you know, I would say, you're drinking again. No, I'm not. And I finally, uh, you know, found the hidden bottles. You know, she knew that she had to hide it from me. She knew that because she, she knew enough that I knew something about alcoholism. So I saw, if, I, if I saw hard liquor around that she'd been drinking, I, I would have known something was going on. It doesn't mean I understood the link between the behaviors 
in the use, the addictive use. And what were the behaviors that got your, uh, that were sort of beginning to become red flags, even though you didn't understand it as such at that time? The, the biggest one for her probably was intense mood swings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and blaming me for all of her problems. That's classic. That's, uh, that, that's traditional among alcoholics. They blame everyone else. Uh, there wasn't any physical abuse. There was some financial abuse. Uh, she accused me of being a control freak. No, 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 no. I, yeah, I responded. I responded to the craziness in my life by trying to control minutiae, but alcoholics are the ultimate control freaks. And, and the rules don't apply to me. Attitude. These are many of the behavioral clues, or a few of the many behavioral clues to alcoholism that I later learned were were traditionally linked to alcoholism. Most of the time, you will not find such behaviors in non-alcoholics or in recovering ones who are wonderful people. And it was my attendance at AA meetings that taught me this. I sat there watching and hearing wonderful people telling horrifying stories of atrocious behaviors in which they engaged while they were practicing. But But what was the link? I'm trying to get from, you know, what was the thing that made you start searching for the bottles? You started noticing these various behaviors and oh, oh, there, there was uh, one mutual friend who said, I have a feeling she's drinking, and I actually saw her drinking uh, secretly and, you know, some things like that. And then I, at, a, at, at an airport one day, we were flying somewhere together, and uh, uh, she was gone for a little bit longer than I thought was appropriate. I went looking for her. I saw her at the bar. Mm. I mean, that's some of the things they do. They sneak a drink here or there uh, if they're in the middle to latter stages. Uh, they will do everything, and especially if they've got an enabler who knows to look for the booze, even if I didn't understand that much about it, they know to hide it from that enabler mm-hmm. so that the enabler can't, can't say, hey, you're going to rehab. And finally, when I proved it, I finally said, you're going to rehab, or I'm out of here, period. And? There's no discussion, no okay. argument. Okay, and? Oh, well, she left. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Which... She went through another year and a half of, of creating hell for both herself and those with whom she came into contact, going through, by the way, five rental houses, which she and her kids destroyed, you know, pretty much most of them. This is one of the things, too. As an enrolled Asian tax professional, uh, I often, uh, unfortunately, get to claim deductions for tenant vandalism. And now I just simply ask, how many bottles did you find? Huh. When you cleaned up the place? Huh. Oh, how did you know? Huh. We found dozens. Every mm-hmm. time. There are no exceptions to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, did you, was this time period, what, did you ever get to tell the therapist? That some, were you still in therapy? Oh, no, no, no. It was, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, never, never really even tried to track them down. Uh, by the time I, I was finally recovered enough for myself, my own well-being, I just said, you know, why bother? Why waste my time? Well, no, but I mean, you, so you weren't still in therapy when you found the bottles or when you found these no, clues? no. And why had that broken off? Mm, I, I couldn't tell you. This is going back. This is mid-90s. Now, I've been studying this now, intently now, for uh, you know, over a dozen years now. You know, I, was, I was with her. Uh, we had a relationship in 93, 94, uh, something into ni- going into 95. It was actually tax season 96 when I would start to say to clients, you know, I think you're, you're being financially abused. I think mm. the abuser is an alcoholic. Now, mm. now, by the way, I had no idea at this point that I would end up writing books about alcohol and other drug mm. addiction. No idea. But I would say to the occasional client that the abuser is an alcoholic. The response, Carol, was in, invariably, no way, my best friend, my parent, my child, my wife, my husband. I'd, I'd see it. I know what to look for. I'm a recovering addict myself, said one. I'd say, take another look. 
He's hmm. relapsed. That one in particular called me back three months later saying, I left him two months ago. It was going on right underneath my nose. All she told me were the behaviors that he was engaging in. I said he, he must have relapsed. Recovering alcoholics don't do those things. They don't act nasty. They don't verbally abuse. They don't psychologically abuse. They don't have intense mood swings usually, unless there's an independent disorder, which is rare. And, and this is what told me I was onto something huge. I'd reversed a very simple, basic idea. At AA meetings, I asked the question, what caused what? Did poor, did, alcoholism, did poor behaviors cause alcoholism or did alcoholism cause misbehaviors? I realized it was the latter. I followed that up with a crucial question. I asked if alcoholism causes misbehaviors, if I observe such behaviors, how often will I find alcoholism if I'm able to dig deep enough? I can find it, I can prove it 80% of the time when there's a, a series of misbehaviors. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I guess... Um... I guess we're going to have to take a break, but um, you know it's interesting because because there are certain psychological. Uh, I mean, yes, we can get into this whole uh, nature versus nurture debate, but there are certain psychological uh, conditions, uh, personality disorders that um, are associated with alcoholism that might actually be causing some of these behaviors that you're talking about. But this is a this is an area where I think we probably disagree on things. But we'll get back into it when we come back. My guest today is Doug Thorburn, who has uh, transformed himself into an expert on alcoholism. He's written four books. We'll talk about these, and we'll talk about uh, alcohol and other addictions and your holidays and how you can protect yourself from um, having this become a very unhappy holiday season. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Informative. Educational. Insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the Traders Coach, Robin Day, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Information you need, when you need it, voiceamerica.com. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on The Dragon Page with Michael and Evo, we've got three authors and one book. No, they didn't all write the same book. They have three stories inside of one book. If you're a writer of short fiction that considers yourself underpublished, take a listen to what we've got to say. All these folks are inside of L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 2005, and there's information how you can get in next year. That's this week on The Dragon Page with Michael and Evo. Every Saturday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Doug Thorburn. He is not only an enrolled agent representing taxpayers before the IRS and a certified financial planner licensee, but he's also the author of four books about addiction and alcoholism. And at the end of the show, I'll be giving you his um, website address so that you can uh, look at this more. Um, a very, very interesting website, but we'll talk about some of those things later. Um, some of these books, I'll start from the beginning, uh, Drunks, Drugs, and Debts. Debits. Debits, yes. <laughs> Drunks, oh God, say that fast. <laughs> Drunks, Drugs, and, which I guess you had to do when you were promoting this book. Drunks, <laughs> Drugs, and Debits, How to Recognize Addicts and Avoid Financial Abuse. Which, if I can interject, Earl, it's yes. really perhaps the most comprehensive book ever written in the field of alcoholism. <laughs> it's matched only by Royce and Scratchley's book. Now, when I was uh, looking uh, at your website, I noticed that one of the behaviors uh, characteristic of an alcoholic, according um, you know to your research, is that uh, grandiosity. Is that? <laughs> but that must be a coincidence. Okay, uh, uh, coincidence in this case. There uh, are certainly uh, a, a series of grandiose remarks, comments, behavior patterns, especially. Uh, are a, a great indicator of alcoholism. Well, okay. But, but again, I get... again, we want to look for a confluence of indicators. It's kind of like on-the-road behaviors. Well, you know, okay. well, but, but wait. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I, I, uh, I don't really see that. I mean, I, yes, it's true when um, after an alcoholic has been drinking, certainly, um, is that what you meant? No, oftentimes the behaviors continue in between drinking episodes, but more so during drinking episodes. Many, many uh, uh, codependents uh, tell us that uh, they're alcoholics once they accept the idea that, that their uh, their uh, loved one or whomever is an alcoholic. Uh, tell us that the behaviors were the same whether they were drinking or not. It requires. Well, see, one of the problems with alcoholism it, it creates egomania, and the egomania kind of slops over into periods of abstinence. 
So sobriety requires two things. One, it requires abstinence. But secondly, because alcoholism causes egomania, it, sobriety requires ego deflation, which is one of the reasons the 12-step programs work as well as they do. Steps 1 through 11 are all about deflating that massive alcoholic ego. Well, okay. I'll... I'll... Um, I'll... I mean that part um, I, I would agree with, but it's it, but I guess the, the difference is that it, it's not really a a um, it's not a, obviously a grandiosity in which the person believes in their all powerfulness. It's rather the opposite. It's in an extreme um, sense of insecurity and low self esteem, which is then compensated for by uh, this apparent occasional, sometimes grandiosity. I view it as the opposite. The reason being. Uh, the alcoholic experiences, particularly in the early to middle stages, alcoholics experience distortions of perception and memory. One particular one, the key distortion, and Dr. Vernon Johnson uh, wrote about this years ago, decades ago, uh, he called it euphoric recall, where the addict remembers, recalls everything they do through a self-favoring lens. Everything they do or say during a drinking episode is good and right and nothing bad or wrong. Well, if everything you do or say is good and right and nothing bad or wrong, you must be godlike. Well, you know, it actually helps to to create. Wait, let's wait, (laughs) because I, I, um, why don't we get to things that we? I mean, as much as I like um, debating this, it perhaps would be most useful to my listeners because, quite frankly. To, to talk about some of the things that will be sort of more practically useful for them, particularly during this holiday season, because one of the things. you know, certainly, if having written about this and studied it as much as you have, um, certainly you recognize your own uh, role that you had in that relationship as an enabler. Oh, sure. I, I knew nothing about it, therefore I enabled. Once I understood <sighs> alcoholism, I stopped enabling, and I vowed never to knowingly enable an alcoholic again. Okay. And um, the reason why people enable alcoholics well, manyfold. One, first off, many just simply don't understand alcoholism. It starts in the schools. They focus on the wrong thing. They're, they're focusing on the drug. All right, wait, bugs. wait. Let's. On the drug. All right, wait. I thought I was going to get an easy answer. <laughs> I should have known better. All right. Um, what I meant was uh, that generally people people become enablers. Um, generally unconsciously or unwittingly, but it has to do with the, a fear of the uh, person, the addict, leaving them. That's if they, true. Mm-hmm. What did you say? That, that's one common reason to be an enabler, true, and particularly if they grew up with alcoholic parents. They're used to the behaviors. Yes. You know, and that's one of the reasons I stayed with her, even though the, the mood swings are vol- were volatile. My father was an alcoholic. Mm. So I just figured, well, everybody's kind of like this. Mm. Okay. My first wife, it turns out, was alcoholic. She was a very uh, sporadic one. She often drank very controlled for months at a time, didn't act nasty. But every once in a while, she binged and God, did she act nasty when she did so. Okay, and have you, um, have you, as you've been doing all these years of research and writing all these books and giving lots of lectures, I didn't mention that yet, but um, have you been sort of um, uh, watching yourself or, or um, trying, being vigilant in terms of trying to understand either um, perhaps through therapy or, or some other manner uh, how 
how what you say or your opinions about alcoholism um, might be influenced by your personal experiences. I mean, obviously it was influenced in order to get into this, and you've done a lot of good things to help people with it, but are you also sort of um, trying to, you know, is there also some little a bird on your shoulder that kind of says, now am I thinking this way because um, that was my personal experience? And, uh, for example, I was disappointed in the therapist that I you know, they didn't recognize this, so um, so I'm my opinion is such and such. Do you know what I'm saying? That that um, we all tend to be influenced by a lot of unconscious things whenever we talk about any subject. I, uh, I, I would agree, except for the fact that I'm a really unique personality type. If you know Myers Briggs types, I'm an intuitive thinker, scientist type, and I can look at things very dispassionately, very unemotionally, uh, from an intellectual framework. And once I've I, I went into this with, with basically a blank slate, Carol. And once I began filling in but the But that hole, isn't really true mm-hmm. because you went into it with very, um, with very personal experiences, both from your father and this woman and your first wife that may well have well, influenced your opinions. A, based... blank, a blank slate, though, as to the causes and the implications yes. and the effects and what I should be looking for in the future. I had no idea about the link to misbehaviors. All right. Well, why don't we start talking about some of the things, some of the ways in which addiction can be affecting people. Let's start out with on the road. Okay. This is, this is where, by the way, I, I, I wrote, my second book is Get Out of the Way, How to Identify and Avoid a Driver Under the Influence. And it's really how to spot the DUI before he or she becomes tragically obvious. And I wrote this book because I learned that the one area where misbehaviors and probabilities of being under the influence have been linked is on the road by National Highway Traffic Safety Administration study years ago. And they found little oddball things like tailgating. What would you think the probabilities of DUI and a tailgater are? You think, you know, I, I mean, I would have thought 10, 20%. Now, keep in mind, we're starting with the overall population, 10%. I don't know you. Odds are 10% you're an alcoholic. I know nothing else about you. Right. But start there. Because 10% right. of the population is, has the disease of alcohol or other drug addiction. So I start ratcheting up or ratcheting down the probabilities as I observe behaviors. Right. Well, what would you think the probabilities of DUI and tailgating are? And by the way, if a person is a DUI in a day and age of MAD, what are the odds of alcoholism? Very high. Okay? Not 100%, but very high. Second DUI, virtually 100%. The odds are not 20 or 30 40%. The odds are 50%. Why? Because the alcoholic does it far more often. We've all tailgated from time to time. But what do we do? We tailgate, oh, I'm too close, back off. The alcoholic keeps doing it, and they stay right behind you. Why? Because they want you to get out of their way because they're God. Or they just have poor judgment, and they can't tell how far away you really are. Now, that's usually at a very high blood alcohol level. The DUIs with which I'm particularly concerned are those at a .15, where you and I and a cop can look at them and not tell that they're under the influence. We cannot look at a highly tolerant, early to middle stage alcoholic and tell that they're under the influence until they're at a .24% or higher in most cases. Mm -hmm. They do not show the classic signs of inebriation, Mm -hmm. stagger gait, slurred speech. The greatest public example ever of this was Henri Paul, Princess Diana's driver. He didn't look drunk in the hotel video prior to the tragedy, did he? Mm-hmm. Okay. As soon as I heard about it, driving 90 in the 30 zone, I said alcohol. My friends who had seen the video said, no, Doug, he looks stone cold sober. 
in that case, alcoholic. Yes, yes. yes. No. And, and then they, and they said, no, 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 Doug, you don't understand. He's, he was trying to escape the paparazzi. I said, yeah, at 45 in the 30 zone, not at 90. Note how good a driver he was. Didn't make a fatal error at 60. Mm-hmm. Didn't make a fatal mistake at 75 in a tunnel with giant pillars. Mm-hmm. He'd be driving 90 before he killed himself in Princess Diana. He was an extraordinary good driver. Why? Because alcoholism drives in the addict and need to inflate the ego. One way by which to do so is to become an extraordinary overachiever and to act recklessly. Look at what I can do. Watch what I can get away with. Three days later, the blood alcohol level was reported at 0.18%. That's the equivalent of 12 shots of 80-proof liquor in the space of four hours for a 200-pound person. Any non-alcoholic would have been flat on their face. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is it that people as they're, well, we're, we're going to be taking a break actually um, now, but when we come back, perhaps you could list uh, three main uh, signs that people should look for as they're driving back during these days especially, and especially with New Year's Eve coming up. Uh, I guess the best thing is to stay home. <laughs> avoid, that's how you avoid the drunk drivers. You stay home on New Year's Eve, but that doesn't sound very exciting. Um, so um, maybe you can uh, let us know, though, it, while we're while we're trying to be careful as we're driving to and fro, what we can look for to uh, not get entangled emotionally or uh, physically, car-wise, in a, with a drunk driver. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Doug Thorburn. Um, he is a uh, the author of four books regarding alcoholism and addiction. And um, we'll be continuing after we take this break on Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you feeling stuck in some part of your life? You might have some crust busting to do. Crust is anything that you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living life full out. Step into the crust-free zone with me, Dr. Pat Basile, and get ready to do some serious crust busting. Join us on Thursday mornings on voiceamerica.com at 8 a.m. Pacific time for crust busting your way to an awesome life. 
Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Cutting edge. Challenging. Stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Business, sports, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I hope that today's show is not driving you to drink as I argue with my guest, <laughs> Doug Thorburn. He is uh, the author of four books about alcoholism and addiction. We just have different perspectives on some of these aspects of it. But before the break, we're starting to talk about um, how you can uh, recognize a DUI before it's about to happen and an accident before you're about to get involved in it with a drunk driver on the road, um, especially during the holidays, although quite frankly it isn't limited to just the holidays. This is just uh, when there are more of them. So why don't you give us some tips for that? Well, someone not yielding the right of way or cutting in line, what are the odds of a DUI there? Believe it or not, 45%. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed to yield the right of way inadvertently, but the alcoholic does it far more often. Even though only 10% of the population is alcoholic, and alcoholics probably in the aggregate drive while under the influence eh, only 20% of the time, which also tells us that 2% of road miles, those driven by alcoholics while under the influence, are responsible for 40 to 50% of the road carnage. Hmm. An extraordinary statistic. And so besides sort of weaving, um, so what you're saying is that tailgating and, I mean, how, there I am driving in my car um, uh, singing Christmas carols and and Hanukkah songs. (laughs) And um, how how can I, you know, besides seeing somebody doing something um, abruptly wrong, like, well, obviously tailgating behind me uh, or or in the next, Lane, um, what are some of the ways, what should I do when I see something? Oh, I that... call 911. Any chance I get, uh, especially especially in out-of-the-way areas, you know, on rural roads, much easier to get someone uh, apprehended there. It's tough in the city. You know, we need uh, a system where we can call and, and they take us seriously when we call in a, a DUI, uh, and especially if multiple cars did the same thing on the same person. 
We need a system in which uh, uh, more DUIs are apprehended. And then uh, perhaps given uh, stickers that they have to have on their car saying, uh, how am I driving? I got a DUI. Mm. Well, that's a good idea. You know, dial 800, blah, blah. Yes, that's a very good idea. Uh, so there's a lot of little of things. Of course, it's not, I guess it wouldn't be considered politically correct, but no, no. perhaps uh, as a way of avoiding, you know, some insurance going up or there could be some oh. some uh, reward for that, a quid yeah. pro quo. And, and if we want to help addicts get clean and sober, which, you know, they're good people in sobriety. They're monsters sometimes when they're not. Look at Tukey Williams, full-blown addict. He was on PCP when he, when he murdered four people. Okay? But watch him. Look at what he did after 1993. I'm not arguing the fact that he failed to apologize to his victims. Uh, there may be other reasons for that. But the fact is he became a totally different person. There were at least 11 incidents prior to that time where he got into trouble in prison to the point at which he was put into solitary confinement for six years. After that, there were no such incidents. Okay, so what you're saying is that during the time that he wasn't in solitary confinement, that he was uh, getting drugs or alcohol smuggled well, into he, him. He, either that or he hadn't had his ego deflated. Prison is not a good place to, uh, where you can deflate the ego easily because you've got to act like you're the big guy on the block in order to survive. So he couldn't undergo ego deflation. That's the more crucial part. Abstinence, you just get a dry drunk. You might end up with the same behaviors. But, yes, many uh, convicts, get drugs in prison from maybe their alcoholic prison guards. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I didn't mean that sarcastically. I mean, yes, all these kinds yeah. of things oh, are going on in prison. Lots of cops um, are alcoholics. Um, you know, the, the, the criminal justice system is filled with alcoholics. Filled on both sides. Now, is that something that you have on a bumper sticker on the back of your... Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean to blame the good cops, and it's not the cops. It's the fact that, that the young... Budding young alcoholic at age 15, 16, 17 years old who, who walks out of the ghetto, where can, I, where can I wield power over others? I'll become a street thug. Walk out of lower middle class America, where can, I middle, where can I wield power over others? Where can I inflate my ego? I'll become a prison guard or a cop. You walk out of Beverly Hills, I'll become a CEO of a corporation or a politician or an attorney or a doctor. Well, yes, but there are actually, um, there are, see, that, that's, I guess, where I, well, I don't know that that because there are other reasons that people do those things. For example, um, a lot of I've written about how a lot of um, police um, actually become same thing with security guards. A lot of these people had uh, lived in homes, grew up in homes where there was a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. It could certainly um, substance abuse could be part of that, but. Um, also physical abuse, sexual abuse, and becoming a cop or a security guard or someone who has uh, power supposedly to protect others is a way of trying to protect yourself and make sure that these kinds of things don't happen again where you're not out of control. Those who don't get out of control didn't inherit their alcoholism from their parents. Those who did get out of control usually inherited the alcoholism. You remember the, the, the cop who was pounding the kid into the hood of the car in Inglewood? Yes. Remember him? I took one look at him, and I said, alcoholic. I can't usually tell by looking at someone that there's alcoholism, but there was something about him that struck me. Six months later, guess what? He got a DUI. The probabilities of cop who gets a DUI, the probabilities of alcoholism in that cop are near 100%. Well, yes, because they know uh, better when they're sober not to do that. That's right. Yes. Well, but, but and, and sober again, re- abstinence plus ego deflation. He looked like he had a big fat... See, that, that's the one thing that we obviously are not going to agree on, because just like what you were saying about in jail uh, with Tukey Williams, you know, yes, I think that um, 
that uh, six and a half years in solitary could have given him a lot of time for reflection, although not enough, um, if you listen to the show that I did last week. But, um, but yes, it certainly could have affected him, turned, helped him to turn the corner in terms of wanting to do something good for the world, writing the books. Sure. But um, this idea that that people's egos are inflated you know, still, I see. That's the kind of thing, for example, where I think that it's it's more you're being affected by what you saw in your personal life than, um, and I'm coming at it from a from a different perspective, looking at the different kinds of psychological syndromes, um, psychoanalytic ways that that uh, of, of that people develop. I mean, looking at at the ways that people develop psychoanalytically, um, personality disorders. I think we're just kind of looking at at from different perspectives, which doesn't mean that, that a lot of the things uh, we agree on, I'm sure, but, um, but it's, it just seems that that seems to be a big cornerstone of what, you t- what you're talking about, the, um, the grandiosity that I explain in other ways. Why don't we look at some of the other um, people, though, that you, that you have um, looked at on your, uh, your Thoroughburn Addiction Report. Um, let's see, how about Michael Jackson? That's a favorite. Oh, <laughs> I won't mind if you... <laughs> certainly he does have certainly he uh, has some misplaced grandiosity but again actually with him um it is from a whole his childhood of abuse but anyhow what well, again, what is your again there he likely inherited alcoholism from his probably alcoholic father who was abusive you know it, it, the link between domestic violence and alcoholism is about 85% okay very high percentage i'm not see what i'm not saying dr carroll is that these Behaviors don't exist independently of alcoholism. Okay. What I am saying is they exist to an extraordinary degree connected to alcoholism, and alcoholics in recovery are wonderful human beings. Therefore, if we get them clean and sober, the behaviors, the misbehaviors, will dissipate over time. Okay? And, of course, Michael Jackson may have committed the crime of which he was accused. He's a full-blown polydrug addict. Yes, which is actually coming home to roost. I don't know if you've been reading some of the recent stories, but um, they actually are looking into that now. Um, And it was obvious to me at the the get-go, years ago, I was Mm -hmm. watching him going, of course there's alcoholism. And the problem, Dr. Carroll, with someone who has a lot of money is that money enables because those nearby have so much to lose if the secret is outed. There's so much to lose. Yes. It's, it's, with Michael Jackson, though, it isn't so much, or at least what, it's not just a matter of alcoholism, it's um, other also drugs. drugs. Yeah, other well, other I, drugs, When right. I use the term alcoholism, I mean any psychotropic drug, which are drugs capable of causing distortions of perception of memory in susceptible individuals. He had a $64,000 pharmacy bill to a Beverly Hills pharmacy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Whoa. And all kinds of reports about him drinking and drugging. And so, of course, he may have committed the crimes. I don't know that he did, but my mind is in a court of law. I say get him clean and sober so that the behaviors improve. And so he doesn't die and he doesn't take others with him. Right. Now, what about, uh, I don't know what you, what about Richard Hatch? What about poor Richard Hatch? Oh, what a classic case. You know, when I wrote my March addiction report, he made the underwatch section. Every month I have a top story. Uh, I have... Runners up for top story. I need a lot of names. He made the underwatch section where I name some names, but I'm not sure about alcoholism. Uh-huh. He made that section because, as an enrolled agent, I'm particularly you know in tune with tax fraud, uh, and um, I, I don't want to be involved with it. So, by the way, this has been very helpful to me. If I 
uh, know that a client is alcoholic, I know to be much more careful. They mm. may be one who has a tendency to commit fraud. Mm-hmm. Not every alcoholic will commit fraud, but if there's fraud, there's usually an alcoholic behind it. Well, he failed to report $1.01 million in winnings from his Survivor uh, series in uh, 2000, and then 2001 failed to report three another 300 and something thousand from a radio stint he did. Well, that gives me very high probabilities of alcoholism. Hmm. So I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could make him the top story for April? And I, I, I don't want to in the sense of, of putting him down. I just thought it would be a great story. It's a great link if I can prove alcoholism. Uh-huh. I feel I proved it because he not only failed to report that income, but he was also charged but not convicted of domestic violence not once but twice. Okay? And, of course, many charges aren't brought because they can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. But the fact that he was charged twice with it gives us just a very high probability that he actually engaged in some sort of domestic violence. Probabilities of alcoholism in the cases of, in cases of domestic violence are 85% roughly. Then <laughs> the coup de grace I learned was that the tax case judge ruled that he had to undergo alcohol and other mm. drug testing. Mm. Wow. That's interesting. Why in the world would a tax court judge, tax case judge rather, have so ruled? He, I can't even imagine what he must have done in court. He must have walked into court looking bombed out of his mind. I, that's the only thing I can imagine. So he made the top story in April. Well, either that or naked. <laughs> and I never watched the series. I, you know, I've flipped in flipping channels. I've seen various Survivor episodes, and, and, and I just simply look and I ask, yeah, I wonder how many of them are alcoholics. Well, <laughs> not, not yet. How many? Uh, I don't know. That I, I, you know, the question to ask is whether they're allowed alcohol on. The, well, yeah, I guess they do. Sometimes. But they can go between drinking episodes. They can go a long time between drinking episodes. Well, true, but it's it's a lot of weeks. Well, we'll come back. We'll talk about more of these people. Um, who you put? Has anyone uh, has anyone sued you? By the way, no, I can't wait. <laughs> I'll tell you what, okay. after the break. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait. We're talking today with my guest, the irascible Doug Thorburn. <laughs> We're talking about addiction. Uh, we have to talk about the holidays some more. I don't know. <laughs> we have to. Uh, and how alcoholics or addicts react. Well, I mean, it's, it's, we all kind of know that, that this is a time when people indulge, um, certainly, which is really very sad because uh, it's gotten to the point where a lot of people can't go to a party without first even alcoholics or non-alcoholics can't run, go to a party without first running to the bar to be able to uh, be in, somewhat anesthetized to uh, the social anxiety. When we come back we'll continue talking about addiction, your holidays and uh, <laughs> your ego inflation or, or not. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, 
Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Getterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Doug Thorburn, and before the break, we were, he was just about to tell us why he's welcoming being sued by um, any of these various celebrities who he is accusing of being alcoholics or addicts. Yes? I, I don't accuse. I, 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 I tentatively diagnose. Okay. And I, and I give them the benefit of the doubt by assuming okay. alcoholism or serial misbehaviors or idiotic uh, statements uh, you know, like uh, Ted Turner, uh, some of the things he said, uh, smack of hyperbole, extreme over-exaggeration. So I identified alcoholism, and then I later confirmed it. Uh, he apologized to his two prior wives for the role that alcohol played in their divorces prior to marrying Jane. Okay, but you know, okay, well, we'll go ahead. So why is it that you're looking forward to this? Oh, uh, nothing will make me more famous more quickly for him. <laughs> But also, you know, I want to turn this whole idea uh, that we need to we need to eliminate the stigma of alcoholism. And one of the grand myths is that poor behaviors cause alcoholism. No, no, they don't. Alcoholism causes misbehaviors. Clean up the addict, the misbehaviors will dissipate. Well, it really is both. I mean, in the example of Ted Turner, now you do know that he's a manic depressive, right? Well, there's no way to know for sure that he's manic depressive until he's clean and sober. Well, yes, there is, depending upon how he was before he was drinking. I mean, a lot of people with psychiatric disorders, manic depressive illness being uh, a good example, uh, use alcohol as a way of, and I'm not condoning this, obviously, but it's a kind of self-medication. So some of these things that you talk about, like the um, grandiosity, are symptoms of other psychiatric problems, such as the manic stage of manic depressive illness, or people with borderline personality disorders uh, also can exhibit this kind of behavior. And, and, and no question that they can. The problem is, is alcoholism usually starts at age 13. And the classic poster child case of this was Patty Duke. She writes her book all about bipolar disorder, manic depressive. The problem is, is her first bipolar episode wasn't until she was age 19. She, her obviously alcoholic business managers, if you read the book carefully, I were read feeding, her yeah, book. they were feeding her, uh, 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 let's see, what were they feeding her, vodka martinis or something like that, at age 14. Okay, and she was thinking drunk for weeks at a time by her own testimony in her 20s. Well, but, but when people, okay, but when people have certain psychiatric illnesses, manic depressive illness, for example, or um, even to some 
there's some controversy, but but even some other disorders, there's a, a, a genetic predisposition to certain things that may or may not come out, and it may or may not come out at different ages. Uh, there are typical ages, that, and alcoholism certainly is one of them. And um, there are typical ages that these things may show themselves but um, at, but, you know, certainly there are all kinds of variations. So it's, it really is quite a, um, a, a complex uh, sorting out of the threads of all of these um, reports, self-reports, reports of other people in regard to any one person as to what may have started what, which is why I think with, with all of these people, it really is important to, become, to be very careful to see what um, other psychological problems they may have that either cause them to medicate themselves or cause them uh, to have a dependent, uh, addiction-prone personality. You, you know, there are a lot of different things that, that really need to be carefully uh, separated from each other before you can kind of come to a specific conclusion. Now, these people may also be alcoholics or drug addicts, but... But to say what caused what, it, it really, you know, is a very fine, um, uh, tedious um, uh, process that has to be gone through. And, and yet alcoholism mimics virtually all the personality disorders. Well, it and can I, mimic. Yes, it can mimic yeah. multiple psychiatric um, right. yeah. problems. I, th I think I make a great case in my book, Drunks, Drugs, and Debits, that 70 to 80% of those diagnosed with personality disorders have been misdiagnosed. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, certainly people get misdiagnosed, but uh, they, and they may also have alcoholism, some of them. But I think it's and really alcoholism may exacerbate some of the other and yes, problems. There's no doubt about that's that. That's right. Also, okay? Yes. But 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 I claim that when we observe a personality disorder, we should be absolutely ruling out alcohol or other drug addiction, blood and urine tested. Okay. First, before treating for personality disorder. Because we, there's no way to know until they're clean and sober for a period of time, and there've been a lot of studies showing that. Well, except including, well, there is. Uh, I mean, there is a way to know if you if you get a very good um, history of this person, and you're in and this person is in treatment with you for a long time. You can tease tease. That's the word that I was looking for. Tease apart um, these different uh, etiologies of the different problems. And yes, it can become a very complicated situation because, as you said, alcoholism can exacerbate as well as mimic, as well as be self-medication, as well as. And so I guess the point is that regardless of what other psychological pr problems the person may have, you certainly it, it behooves a therapist or, or um, a loved one to, to try to get the person help who is also uh, abusing alcohol or drugs. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and we can probably agree to disagree about the percentage that are attributable to alcoholism. There's no question that the personality disorders uh, occur independently, but I would bet, I would give 80% odds, 4 to 1 odds, and I'm not a gambler, <laughs> that Ted, Turner, Ted Turner's alcoholism preceded his well, okay, I'll bet you. <laughs> I'll bet you. <laughs> we'll have to figure this out. But, you know, I, I guess the one thing is, though, that personality disorders are formulated in childhood and, and occur or put together by traumas that a child experiences um, from, from growing up in a particular household and, and undergoing certain experiences, and a personality is formed by the time the, the person is uh, a teenager, by 18. Especially, especially if they're growing up in an alcoholic household. It can really 
Absolutely. Well, let me um, read some of the topics, and then you can tell people how to how to get a hold of you. Let me just uh, mention your four books. Uh, get out of the way. How to identify and avoid a driver under the influence. If you'd like to hear more, read more about that. Drunks, drugs, and debits. How to recognize addicts and avoid financial abuse. Uh, his third book, How to Spot Hidden Alcoholics, Using Behavioral Clues to Recognize Addiction in Its Early Stages. And last but not least, Alcoholism, Myths, and Realities, Removing the Stigma from Mankind's Most Destructive Disease. And I must say, you know, that on the, on the basic uh, problem of how there are far too many people um, turning to the bottle and, and other drugs, um, and it is a very serious and sad problem that's not only sad and, and sometimes fatal for the, for the alcoholic or drug addict, but also uh, fatal for the well-being of the people around him, yep. if not more. Th- that's if the, not more than that. Part that, I, that I direct my attention towards. And so your website is addictionreport.com. You can sign up free to the monthly online addiction report. Okay. All right, addictionreport.com. And I, I dare say that we have stimulated some people to be curious enough to, curious enough to do that. So, again, thank you for being on the My show, pleasure, Doug Dr. Thorburn. Pleasure. And uh, let me just close with a word of warning. Whether you consider yourself an alcoholic or not, I hope that we have at least um, uh, heightened your sensitivity and curiosity to um, consider whether people in your life are perhaps uh, alcoholics early in the early stages um, who are hiding that from you. And I guess uh, from my point of view, the, the best way to start to um, look into that is by looking into yourself. This is a psychiatric point of view, to be looking into yourself and, and asking yourself whether there might be reasons why you are being an enabler to someone in your family or in your life um, and to keep them bound to you because you're afraid of losing them. In other words, if they got rid of their addiction, then maybe they would feel as though they didn't need you anymore um, because because right now, while they're dependent upon alcohol or drugs, they're also likely to be dependent upon you. So uh, the, the key to this is not only observing signs and misbehaviors and various things that we talked about today and that you can certainly look into more, but it starts with you, yourself, being honest with yourself and uh, asking yourself whether, in fact, you are feeling that insecure about a certain relationship and afraid that that person would leave you if they weren't addicted to some drug um, or alcohol. Um, of course, alcohol is a kind of drug, but um, some substance that makes them unable to um, get out of the relationship because they're in that kind of state where they are so dependent. So with that, I wish you again very happy holidays, and I will uh, talk to you all in the new year. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 